Hello, welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Camwest Core Podcast. I'm Sam Kindick, and this series of podcasts will be making public the archive of the Camwest Core interviews. Camwest Core was the brainchild of Camwest Secretary-Treasurer Tom Sankowitz, who modeled the oral history project after NPR's StoryCorps. Each year since 2012, graduate students have interviewed senior faculty about their participation in CAMWAS. These interviews are conducted to elicit the members' recollections of their experiences with CAMWAS, of their life and career, and of the changes, trends, and constants that they have observed over the years in CAMWAS and in the profession as a whole. In this episode, we'll be celebrating the life of the late Eleanor Windsor Leach, who passed away suddenly on February 16, 2018. Ellie was the Ruth N. Halls Professor of Classics at Indiana University Bloomington and served on many committees for both CAMWIS and the SCS, which she was president of in 2005. This episode is dedicated to her memory. I'm pleased to present two recordings in this episode. The first is Sarah Titus's interview of Ellie from the 2015 annual meeting in Boulder, Colorado. The second is a conversation between two of Ellie's former students, Davina McLean, who is professor of classics at the Louisiana Scholars College at Northwestern State University, and Zoe Barnett, a graduate student at Indiana University Bloomington. Without further ado, here are Sarah Titus and Ellie Leach. I am Sarah Titus, and it is March 26, 2015, and we are in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and with me, I have... Eleanor Windsor-Leach from uh, Indiana University, Bloomington. Excellent. Okay, so um, why don't we start with the first question, um, which is, where did you attend graduate school, and what was the attitude of your graduate school or schools towards CAMWIS? Huh. I went to graduate school in New Haven, Connecticut, um, a rather parochial place <laughs> as well as concerns the rest of the country. Sure. I never heard of Camus. Likewise, that was my experience there as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. All right. Okay. Um, how did you learn about Camus then, and what prompted you to become involved with the association? Um, okay. I think it was probably because I noticed that Classical Journal was published by Camus. Okay. <clears throat> And after that, I found out some. I found out that it was a real society <laughs> that people belong to, and maybe some interesting people. Um, I did not go to a meeting for some time, and I cannot remember. You know, I can't give you a year when mm -hmm. I first noticed. <laughs> um, but I do remember the first annual meeting. It was a year that I had taken off. Uh, from teaching after nine years at my own expense and that of my husband um, to try to finish my book. Uh, and I was living in the Midwest for the first time ever in my life. And I thought, well, well give it a try. So I applied to be the paper at Camus. It was going to be at Duke University in Durham. And that was where my graduate school mentor, Lawrence Richardson, had come to teach, um, and close to North Carolina, where all my Bryn Mawr faculty had come to teach. So uh, it seemed like a fun thing to do. Sure. Okay. Um, 
So, what do you remember about the first annual what meeting do I you remember? attended? Um, I remember that my paper was too long. <laughs> uh, I remember that there were some very nice receptions. And I can't say that I remember any other particular paper that was given, but I enjoyed the meeting very much. Um, at what schools have you taught, and how involved has your school or schools been with cameras? Okay, my first job was teaching English at Brimaw College. Uh, they were also not a Camus school. The classics department was not a Camus department. Mm -hmm. They were not even a cast department. <laughs> <laughs> I taught at Villanova University in Pennsylvania. Uh, that was my first Latin job. And I taught for a year and a half at the University of Texas in Austin. Mm -hmm for a period of time at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and then Indiana found me, and I've been there ever since. Okay. Do my students attend annual meetings, deliver papers, and so forth mm -hmm. with bells on? That's there wonderful. are 10 of them at this particular meeting. Wow, that's a lot. That's a wonderful representation. Yes, <laughs> they found it very, very exciting. Good, that's wonderful. Um, have you served on Canvas committees? But... Yes, I've been on quite a number of Canvas committees. I was on Manson Stewart, which I enjoyed very much. Uh, some of our students had won the awards, and it seemed like something I'd like to do. Uh, I was on the, the last one was the Owationes committee, um, and I didn't have that much to contribute to that. Actually, I was on the executive committee. This this goes back further. In fact, it was shortly after I came to Indiana. I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, I got the feeling that a lot of people thought because of my New Englandisms and everything, and maybe by that time my engagement with the APA. That I thought I wasn't really a Camus person. And I have never been president of Camus. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that something you'd like to do? Well, I would have liked to do it. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, there's still time. <laughs> Younger people have been. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. And you'd rate those experiences all? All very nice. Yeah, I remember particularly... Art Spizak, I think he was my predecessor on Manson Stewart. He was very helpful about every about the schedule and mm -hmm. everything. I think those are the major committees on which I serve. Um, how often have you attended Canvas annual meetings, including the Southern Section? Well, it's very embarrassing. Um, a few years ago, and I think it was at CAS, not Canvas, but maybe it was at Canvas. There was a panel on the associations. And dear Herbert Venario was the representative of Camus. He was the official Camus historian. And he got up and talked about Camus, and in his stentorian intonation, he said, and there are people who have come to every year and never miss one like Ellie Leach. I thought, well, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time I skipped. <laughs> so actually, I have not been for the past three years for well, partly because two of the locations didn't attract me, and the middle one, Iowa, I'd love to go to, mm -hmm. but we got into a conflict with Indiana Classical Conference, and oh. I had promised to give a paper there, so I just okay. had to pass it up. Um, which parts of the annual meeting, papers, panels, workshops, etc., um, 
are most valuable for you and which parts do you enjoy most? I don't tend to do workshops. I think they're more pedagogical mm -hmm. than I am. Okay. Um, the paper, I just heard a brilliant paper by Chris Craig. The papers, the papers I, I like very much, and that's, you know, I come to see people. I, I do actually come to hear papers. Mm -hmm. This is a very rich meeting. Yes. Lots of good work going on out there. It's nice to see the young people coming up. And they submit to Canvas, mm -hmm. or, and they find a better reception than they do at the other association sure. with which I have been associated. Um, <laughs> um, I always go to the business meeting. It just seems you, a person ought to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I still I like the fact that you go to the school campuses. Right. That's very nice. Mm -hmm. APA used to, but it hasn't for years right. and years. Um, I don't usually go out and explore a city. Um, I enjoy the banquet. I love Jim. I've always loved the Owationes mm -hmm. and Jim May in particular. Okay. How often have you delivered papers, organized panels, or presided over sessions at the annual meeting? And how would you rate those experiences? Okay. Um, I don't know that I've ever organized. Yes, I did organize a panel once. It was a long time ago. It was one of my very first canvas meetings when I really became a genuine Midwesterner at Indiana <laughs> University. It was the year of the Vesuvian bimillennial. Oh. And I organized a little panel of people whom I knew as fellow campaignists, uh -huh. campaignists. And we did that, I think that was, I do believe that was in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh. So, yes, but that's the only panel ever. I do submit a paper almost every time. Uh, it just seems, well, a, a couple of times, just because there have been a lot of students on the program, I haven't submitted a paper. Okay. But I sort of like, you know, be, be a fellow participant with my own students. So Sure. Um, they get good audiences much better than they do at the other meeting. And sometimes I do, too. <laughs> Has the overall quality of the papers presented at the annual meetings changed over the years or remained the, sh the same? If you think it's changed, can you suggest reasons why? I would say it, it's about the same. I would say it changes in a way that does reflect what's changing in scholarship. Okay. And I put that to the credit of Camus. Because, again, I think the program committees tend to be fairly open-minded. I myself, at certain times, when I was experimenting with new critical methods, mm -hmm. have offered the papers at Camelus, just thinking, oh, no, <laughs> that APA program committee would never accept this. Sure. Um, and this year's no exception, I think. Um, I, of course, I have rather old lot of experience with the APA program committee. I was on it for about nine years of my life. Wow. And sometimes we've got some hidebound philologists mm -hmm. who just wouldn't accept any kind, anything new and challenging. Okay. And then, then I sort of reformed the committee by suggesting candidates to run for it. And then we had some good years. Okay. But, yeah. So anyway, no, I would say that in relationship to what's going on in the field, that the quality of, of papers has been quite consistent, which is to say 
that there hasn't been much retrograde. Either. Good. What are some of your most vivid, most pleasant, or most amusing memories of Camwis annual oh. meetings and the people who attend them? Oh, my. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> I mean, there should be many, many, many amusing memories. Um, I remember, you know, the association with, with the places mm-hmm. uh, or some of the associations with the places. I wish I could come up with something really funny at the moment. <laughs> um, what particular meetings stand out? As, as I said, of course, I find Jim May's Oationes del- just delightful. People have given presidential addresses of different kinds. I, I like the ones in which they do us the favor of taking up something in their particular field of specialization. Mm-hmm. Let's say Chris Craig gave a very nice one when when he was president. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people you always, always, always want to hear. One of them who's not here this time, whom, someone I really discovered through Canvas, was Tony Corbale at Kansas. Um, Chris Craig's always good. Jim May's always good. I do, I do, of course, tend to go to sessions that are related to what at the present time I happen to be working on. But I also go to the sessions, of course, in which my students are involved. Sure. So I heard a nice one just now on um, Imperial Epic, they call it Silver mm-hmm. Epic and, mm-hmm. and all. Yes. I will because I do art historical work myself. I yes. will go to art historical ones. So I remember one session in which all of us did post classical things. Oh. Um, and there are a lot of them this, uh, in this particular meeting, of course, and was, the whole yeah. reception mm-hmm. uh, move. I was thinking of one in which the, the late Ross Kilpatrick gave a very nice interpretive talk on painting by Dasso Dossi. Mm-hmm. Kilpatrick got fascinated by Dasso Dossi, who is so indecipherable, and he came up with all kinds of fascinating uh, interpretations. So he gave us more than one of those orally in cool. Canvas. Are there ways in which Canvas could do a better job observing your professional needs, and could the design and the timing of the annual meeting be improved? My professional needs are probably fairly simple. I need to hear good papers on interesting topics and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the design and timing are fine. Um, occasionally there's a conflict with one of the other meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it can be a conflict with New England Classical. can be a conflict with the Classical Association of the UK, mm-hmm. which is a very good meeting. Mm-hmm. I'll say one thing about that. Um, I was there two or three years ago, um, <clears throat> and I have, I've only been to two of them, in fact, because it's not easy to get, get to work it out with a, with a schedule. Sure. I just, I don't, they do not meet during my spring breaks, so I have to take time off or be on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there, there were, oh, there were too many Americans at that session. Uh, the first time I was there, I just met Brits, and that was wonderful. The second time we all talked to each other, which wasn't wasn't so good. <laughs> um, but they have a twenty minute paper mm-hmm. with ten minutes for questions, sure. and we thought that format 
format worked very, very nicely. It probably meant less papers on the programs, mm -hmm. but it did make for very stimulating sessions. Right. This morning I went to a session on, well, late Republican historiography. Oh. Some of the liveliest discussions I've ever seen at Canvas. Oh, that's fantastic. Every single one of them went on five, six questions. That's great. And it, it, it really was good. It was mm -hmm. a real, maybe because it was the first session and everybody was full Excited. of energy. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so, yeah, working, yes, working toward, I think, sponsoring dialogue. And mm -hmm. there's a lot more of it than there used to be. Yes, yeah, sure. Fact, I, I really haven't been to anything today in which a paper fell dead. That's wonderful. It's always been something Good. someone had to say. That's very encouraging. Yeah. Are there ways in which Canvas could do a better job of reaching out to schools within and outside its territory and of supporting threatened classics programs? Hmm. That's a big question. Yes, it is. Um, and I cannot give it an entirely informed answer because... You have to know more about the schools sure. to say the right thing. Is there a committee? I don't know. The APA did used to have a committee that supported threatened classics programs. You know, I don't really know if they do anymore. Um, well, yeah, yeah, the Professional Affairs Committee, of course. It's, mm -hmm. it's grown into something bigger than it used to be. Um, when programs are threatened, there can be various reasons for it. I mean, there, there just can be horrible over supervisory administrative trustees mm -hmm. decisions mm -hmm. that will threaten a program regardless of its standing. I do take the line that if a program is really dying in its feet, there probably is a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And it could be good for them to have a little outside input, maybe. Uh, people come and see if there's anything they could suggest that would improve the program, keep it alive. Um, I think if a program is really, really going downhill, maybe, maybe it shouldn't survive, but I don't know many instances of that. Sure. But I, So I would answer that... If programs are threatened, they should know with whom in Canvas to get mm -hmm. in touch okay. and to see what could be done to perk them up or to argue for their standing if that's what needs to be done okay. or something like that. So, yes, so definitely a contact person would be good. All right. Um, what things have remained constant about CAMWIS during the time of involvement with the association and what things have changed? Um, and, subsequently, are there ways in which CAMWIS could do a better job of balancing <laughs> continuity with change? Oh, dear. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think the structure of the program has been pretty constant. I would guess that, again, there are more workshop events than there used to be, and I think that there ought to be, um, because I think that people really do, uh, people in the schools really do profit from a chance to exchange with others. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a teacher in a high school with, uh, in the middle of a town that's nowhere, 
tour. can feel pretty isolated. I think it's good that there's a chance also to help teachers who can't afford to attend meetings mm. also. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe more of that has been done than used to be done in the past. In a way, of course, the more scholarships that are available, the better, yes. too. What oh, things have changed? Well, there's certainly more sessions and more papers than used to be. That's what I... I, know, I suppose that's just a, a function of continuity. It means that Canvas is attracting people mm -hmm. to come. Probably, probably nothing has changed for the worse. I can't think that anything has. That's good. Yeah. Over the years, has Canvas reflected the general attitudes of society, or has it been in some ways ahead of its time? How have women and minorities, for example, been treated? Mm -hmm. um, and how welcoming has Canvas been to people at different stages in their careers? I would certainly not say that it has been behind. I think women have come to occupy increasingly prestigious positions in Canvas, uh, but not that they didn't before. I mean, during the early years, um, there were some very distinguished women of the Midwest who were president mm -hmm. uh, of Canvas. I can think of, oh, Eleanor Hazar, was it Fowler, mm. um, I think, who was also a Bryn Mawr. Um, Oh, Florida, a um, lovely lady who worked on Lucan. She was the president of Canvas when I first went there. So I don't know that Canvas was laggard in giving opportunities to women. Minorities, I think if they're encouraged to come, they'll be well treated. Mm -hmm. I don't know to what extent really genuine minorities maybe um, are reached out to. Sure. I'm not sure about that. I can't think that I've seen very many blacks yeah. at this meeting. Mm -hmm. There may be some Hispanics, I don't know, and that's not so easy to right. <laughs> tell sure. that with a glance. <laughs> Um, there have been a good many people. There have been some Greeks, um, definitely. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, certainly, it, the proportion of people in the profession should be reflected in the proportion of people who attend the meetings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a great deal of sense. Y yes, yeah, yeah right. Um, and how welcoming has Canvas been to people at different stages in their careers? I, I think it has. Graduate students feel that it's so friendly to them. Um, what would you say are the strengths and the weaknesses of Canvas, and what opportunities do you foresee for the association in the upcoming years, and also what challenges? Well, some of the things that we have already gone over are strengths of, of Canvas. Mm -hmm. The opportunities for young people to come and involve themselves and to be heard, mm -hmm. um, and to meet people, that's the strength. The scholarship program is wonderful. Indiana University has benefited greatly from Canvas scholarships for summer study in Greece or in Rome. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it would be nice if there were more scholarships if sure. anybody wanted to endow them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, meetings where you meet people, you talk to people you know, those are always good. I like the list of places that um, are going to be visited within the next four or five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, of course, that also does allow for a certain rotation. I mean, this meeting is amazing because um, people are coming from all over and so many mm-hmm. old citizens are coming who may not have been coming for a while. I guess it's just the attractions <laughs> of Boulder. Sure. Um, um, I don't know, you know, what can we say, that it's always good for the young people to see their seniors and I hope that would continue. I suppose anything that moves toward the schools, but there are those committees that help people, like promotion of Latin or mm-hmm. all. Um, but I obviously the most important thing for us is to keep high school students taking Latin mm-hmm. and to keep turning out, also in our graduate programs, young teachers who want to teach Latin. Yes. And I think Camus is very aware of that, but they certainly need to keep it up. Are there challenges, do you see, in the upcoming years? Well, any challenge to classics is a challenge to Camus, I will say that. (laughs) And it may be in some cases that school districts need to be persuaded that classics is important. Mm -hmm. So... Departments may need a little bit of help to stay on their feet or mm-hmm. raise their their standing. The organization of the association has become the executive secretary has become more and more and more important. I mean, Anne Groden mm-hmm. created that position in a way. Uh, Tom Sinkowitz is doing a nice job. So that is a change, I believe. It's a strengthening of of the association through its administrative team. <laughs> um, and I don't know about the dues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if those are different, because I bought a life membership quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'm not aware um, whether the rising dues rates have affected people or not. In fact, they're not even aware if, they're, if they've been rising. Sure. Where does Canvas fit among the other classical associations in North America, and what should its primary role or roles in the 21st century be? Okay, everyone says that among the regional associations, it certainly is the, the primary association. It's good that it spans the North American border, I went to the Canadians once, and I was surprised at all the people that I'd never <laughs> there whom I'd never met. Oh. Of the ones with which I'm familiar, I guess it has the best mix of scholarly and pedagogical, and and that that also makes it important. I think it should stay where it is. Okay, um, it should look at all the areas of outreach that it has, mm-hmm. and keep them all flourishing. Um, And, I mean, it's logical uh, with its constituency that it should be the the biggest, most representational of all all the associations. So, overall, how and why has CAMWIS been important to you in your life? Well, in many, many ways. I will certainly say that CAMWIS has been important. Mm -hmm. 
It's important as a venue for my graduate students. Uh, why don't you put that first? Okay. Secondly, it's important as the place to which I have submitted some topics mm -hmm. that I considered experimental, yep. for which I wanted the encouragement of presentation. I've gone on to publish quite a number of those uh, topics. Uh, it's important because it's the right time of year to go somewhere. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but, um, and because of the, the nice places where we go. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's important. I mean, there are people whom I see only at canvas, mm -hmm. and that's important, too. I haven't mentioned yet the gatherings, of course, the receptions. Mm -hmm. Those are almost a unique feature of canvas. I think they come at the right time within the structure of the meeting. They come in good places. Mm -hmm. They are a really nice chance for mingling. Mm -hmm. I enjoy canvas. And now, Davina McLean and Zoe Barnett reflect on their time and experiences with Ellie Leach. This is Davina McLean and Zoe Barnett. And we're going to talk a bit about Eleanor, our experiences with Eleanor Windsor Leach. So, Zoe, I'm going to let you start. I, let's see, I met Professor Leach. I met her at Canvas Southern Section the first time I went, which was, what, 2014, mm -hmm. uh -huh. I think. Um, and at that time, I didn't know I was going to Indiana. And she, she was very nice and, like, receptive to, like, my first paper as an undergraduate, which was a disaster, like, looking back on it. But she was, like, very nice and receptive. And uh, she she didn't tend to, in my experience, like, discriminate based on the quality of your idea so much as the potential of your idea. So she would she tended to try to, like, nurture a stronger line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the next time I met her was when I was, going through admissions rounds in at Indiana and they brought the potential graduate students in for like a tour of the department and I met Professor Leach and she remembered me from Canvas like two or three years ago and she was like oh yeah you get that paper on Plato and I was like nice of you to remember that I've repressed that memory <laughs> and <laughs> oh my god she remembers the Plato she yeah, remembers she, the Plato paper. yeah like the first paper I ever gave Wow. Uh, she remembered me, and she remembered me also as your student. So uh, she was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're Davina's kid. And I was like, yep, that's, that's me. I'm Davina's kid. <laughs> and then uh, I had her survey, and uh, I only had her survey for a partial semester, but she passed away, like, right right at February, February 19th, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I had the flu for a week of January, so I missed <laughs> a week of class. But that was uh, that was the extent of my experience. It was just like conferences and then like a semester of grad school, basically. Mm -hmm. um, what did you do in survey? Survey, we we did a lot of reading and discussion. The reading was outside of class, so there wasn't mm -hmm. really a recitation component. All the reading was done outside, and then we would come in and we discuss content. What do you remember about the discussions with her? I think what I remember most is. Uh, well, the first thing is that uh, she allowed for digressions in class time. There's so many digressions. Uh, usually there was a point to it, or like it started out with a point, and then it like meandered back toward the point at the end. Mm -hmm. And I also remember her 
uh, very like adamantly trying to explain why it mattered that we were reading what we were reading and like trying to link things back to. Uh, she was oddly aware of like pop culture and would like link things back to like modern politics or modern pop culture and be like, see this, this is analogous to this in modern culture and let's kind of take that tangent for a while. Do you have an example? Uh, some, she linked something to Superman at one point. I think she linked one of the good emperors to Superman at one point. And she really liked to talk about, she liked to talk about Donald Trump's administration without ever naming Donald Trump. That is that uh, <laughs> East Coast gentility that she would maintain, but um, she was very clear. Yes. Yes. Her feelings were very clear on many things without saying a whole lot. <laughs> she was. <laughs> she liked to come and, like, hang out with the grad students and, like, take the temperature. Uh, it was her idea, actually, to instate a weekly coffee hour, oh. which was uh, it was the product of one of our uh, graduates, Martin Shedd, who graduated with his Ph.D. in Latin. And he was the president of our student government in the classics department, and he basically was like um, – he needed or he felt that the department needed some sort of way to for the grad students to be in direct conversation with the professors because before the coffee hour was instated there wasn't really a specific forum in which like the students the professors talked informally Mm -hmm. and so uh professor leach was one of the like really she was really adamant that it continue and so she would she was at coffee hour every week and uh she usually would like rope some of the other professors into like coming down and chatting with us and having coffee. Oh, that's so awesome. That sounds like Ellie. That sounds like Ellie. <laughs> Very her. She really liked more interaction with students on a mm-hmm. on a personal basis than than you saw some other faculty. Um where was the coffee hour held? It was in the grad office in Valentine. Mm-hmm. It was on the fifth floor. I can't yep. remember. I cannot remember what the number was. The professors had to come to the graduate office. Right, right. Yeah, I remember that room. Uh, if it's the same one, um, I spent a fair amount of time working on my dissertation there and working on stuff for Ellie there. <laughs> um, interesting. What? Uh, so at the coffee hours, what did you guys talk about? Usually we talked about Latin with Professor Leach. Usually it was oh, this is what I'm reading, or this is what I'm studying, or this is a paper that I'm writing. Do you remember some of the work that she talked about that she was doing? I don't remember a whole lot. I remember a lot about, like, artistic representations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, like, one thing that she liked to talk about a lot. Uh, but I don't remember a whole lot of specifics because it's so far afield from what I study mm-hmm. that, like, to some extent, I'm just like, okay, Professor Leach, okay. <laughs> That's kind of what we did in class, too. My very first year there, I had her for the survey. Mm-hmm. And in in the same vain. She was making connections and things like that. But she would also make these connections and we would be sitting there going, I have no idea what you just said. I'm sure it's brilliant, but I don't get it. Three or four years later you'd go, Oh oh yeah. Ellie talked about that. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's kind of a standard. Mm-hmm. That's she she thought at such a level. Uh, and the artistic representations is always key. That's um, I was her student worker in Rome for her, well, in Bloomington and in Rome, for her 
NEH Summer Institute on Roman art in its social context. Mm -hmm. So, art, you know, art's not really, I mean, I do a little, but not a whole mm -hmm. lot. I'm more a text person. Um, but it was a, a great opportunity, A, because I got to go to Rome. But B, I got to meet a lot of people and see the art in its social context because I got to see what she was talking about um, in some really interesting ways. But um, it's not surprising me that she would do the coffee hour uh -huh. at all. She was, I think she was director of graduate studies up until the year I got there. Um, which, like, she literally only handed it over, right. like, the year before she passed, and she right. passed it to Professor Reedy. And so she she still functioned more as an advocate for students. Yeah, she was she was much more about like being involved with students and being being present like physically just in case there was an issue that we felt needed to be raised. No, Ellie was always super accessible. Yeah. That's you know, she I don't ever remember her office door being closed. Mm -hmm. I guess that's why I feel weird when I see somebody's office door closed and I know they're in there. Uh -huh. It's interesting that she was interested in pop culture. I <laughs> remember her being singularly, well, there were probably some pop culture things, but you know me, I'm into football. And I remember sitting up in the office one Sunday, and it was, it was Super Bowl Sunday, um, and I was working on something for her, I think it was for the, the the NEH Institute, she came in and we chatted a little bit and said, yeah, I'm going to finish this up before the game. And she's like, she did that sort of you know, little twitch with her head yeah. and, and, and said, Super Bowl? I'm like, yes. I believe, the, I, I believe Dallas is playing. Are they not? It's like, yes. And Buffalo. They're playing Buffalo. I'm like, Ellie. <laughs> for, for someone who seemed so like she seemed kind of like ethereal as a human she was very like aware of things and it was always like a, a shock you're like you're talking about Superman yes well that was exactly it I was really shocked I was really shocked and surprised um, you know she she was not a football fan but that she actually knew this was happening with hilarious. She liked, I think she liked baseball. She did. She did. Actually, I, I talked with her daughter, Harriet, and Harriet mm -hmm. mentioned that, that she actually preferred baseball. Uh -huh. um, she owned a television, I don't believe, but she had no, a No, no, no such thing in her house. Um, no, she listened to, in fact, she's the one who really turned me on to listening to NPR. Um, there was a, an event back when we had Downey House. And the, the volleyball net and volleyball had disappeared for some reason. And she said, well, she had, she thought she had one at her house or she had croquet or something like that. And so she and I jumped into my 1961 Chevy pickup. Yes. And I'm a little embarrassed about, you know, hauling her in this, in this pickup. But we went to her house to get it and found something. Um, and coming back, the gears on my truck froze at the stoplight and I'm like oh god I can't believe I have to do this so I had to jump out pop the hood and put them back in line by hand uh -huh. and I got back in and she was laughing and said yeah she had an old pickup it used to do that <laughs> and I just was I, I that was an image that I would have loved to see <laughs> She would just, yeah, she would just come out with things, like, out of the blue, and you're like, somehow, that's in character for you. 
<laughs> Isn't that the thing? I mean, she was... She and I were so different. You might have noticed. Uh, I, I will say... <laughs> She and I were probably more different than we were alike. I, I mm-hmm. very, you know me, I'm very linear and like very like problem, straight line solution. <laughs> right. And, and Ellie doesn't think in a straight line. Um, and I had never met anybody like her, um, even if she was the one person whose book I had read before I came to, to Indiana. But she, I remember, in fact, the first time I met her and telling her that I had read her book, and she, she again, did that little thing where her head dropped and turned to the side with a little bit of a smile, and mm-hmm. she didn't really like the adoration, which I was beaming at that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very interesting. I don't know what I would have done without her. She, um, when I was working on my dissertation and not quite with the person that I really wanted to work with. And Ellie had said at first that she, she couldn't direct it because she didn't know enough about what I was doing. And after a few months, um, and I was writing, and I'd given my chapter to um, the person who was directing, and I waited two months for something and never got any feedback, never got anything. In the meantime, I'd been up using the computer up there so much uh, and talking with her. And finally, after two months, I made an appointment with him to get him, you know, get some feedback. And he says, well, I guess I better read that. And I'm just like, oh, oh, really? And fortunately, circumstances were such that he ended up leaving Indiana. And so Ellie and I talked. And at that point, she said, well, now I know enough about what you're doing that I could direct your dissertation. And I was super grateful because she got things back so quickly. Yeah, the, the memory I have of being at a Horace's birthday party at her house on December 8th and handing her my last chapter at that point, and we probably left at 11 o'clock, and getting a phone call at 7 a.m. the next morning, and she's just sputtering. She's so excited because she's finished the chapter, and could I come over right away? Because uh, she has some other things she wants me to read, but, you know, I've got, this is great. And I'm like, it barely eight hours, and most of those should have been sleep. Yeah. But she, I mean, she got things back quickly. Uh, her writing can be indecipherable, um, and I became... Uh, the go-to for sorting out Ellie's comments when people couldn't read her handwriting. Uh, yeah, that was my job. And uh, one thing that I did notice, I sent, sent a screenshot of one of her comments to Chris, and I was like, did you notice that Professor Leach and Davina have, like, the same handwriting? <laughs> I, I think about that. I figured that was your job as scholars to decipher my handwriting. <laughs> See, now I've taken a paleography course, so I could decipher anybody's handwriting. It's great. <laughs> it does help a lot, doesn't it? It does. It's amazing. Um, gosh, there's so many memories of Ellie. I have, I have like, one more, like, student involvement one that yeah. just kind of occurred to me. It was, um, so we were doing a job search for a Latinx because we have a position open. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we had a, we still have a very like Hellenist heavy department, just so we're trying to like shore up the Latin side. Good. And um, mm-hmm. so we were doing a job search for the Latinist, and 
at one of the coffee hours, Professor Leach noticed that because uh, she she kind of asked us about like the job talks that were going on and uh, who we preferred and who we didn't prefer and kind of like she she wanted the process to be as transparent to us as it could mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. but um, Professor Leach told us that. Uh, she told Sydney, one of my colleagues, and she was like, if you guys have issues with any of the decision-making that's going on, if you guys can draft a statement, I will present it to the faculty. <laughs> like she, was, she was very adamant that our input to be taken, like, taken into account. And like that afternoon, we got an email from the head of the department like, okay, if you guys have opinions, please send them to me. You know, Ellie had been in the department so long that she knew faculty interaction with the graduate students was important. Had she talked to any of you guys about presenting papers and things like that? Oh, yeah. She took, I think she took students to Camlis the first year I was there. I obviously didn't go to Camlis because I am focusing on building my teaching portfolio. And, um, yeah, she took students to conferences. Um, she hadn't talked to, I don't think she talked to anyone in my cohort about presentation. Maybe Ben, uh, because Ben already had his master's when he came in. Um, but she definitely talked in surveys. She was like, okay, so survey will not be happening because Cam was, and you won't be here, and you won't be here, and you won't be here, and you won't be here. And it's, yeah, cool. Um, what about... It, it, how did you feel like she received you as somebody who wants to be a teacher? She, I don't think she really discriminated. Again, I think she really um, received people based on their potential, like the potential of their ideas rather than what they came in with or what they wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she was much more focused on like what you are doing in the moment mm-hmm. than what you're going to do five years in the future. Okay. So she yeah. was like, like if I had a good like contribution to class, it was just a good contribution to class. It wasn't. Oh, that's good for an MAT. <laughs> no, she would never do that. She would never do that. Well, she also really valued. I mean, she understands the value of high school teachers. Her mm-hmm. involvement with the Indiana Classical Association mm-hmm. um, is key on that. And I know some of the high. I know a couple of the high school teachers in Indiana who really cared for her because. You know, she was just a, another teacher, mm-hmm. um, and that was really cool to them. Um, yeah, Ellie was great about getting people to meet people. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things she really liked at the conferences, to, to introduce her graduate students to people that they should know and make those connections. I actually remember once at, um, it wasn't at Camus, it was at the APA, and we were in Washington, D.C., and there was a reception at the National Archives. And I'm standing there talking to somebody, and all of a sudden she's, like, waving crazily and yelling my name across the room. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, I, sort of out of character, but not really. Um, and she's standing next to the super tall guy and introduced me to Nick Rao uh-huh. at that point. Um, you may have seen him. He teaches at Purdue. Oh. Um, super tall guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, teaches at Purdue. Uh, he was teaching a course on women in the ancient world that semester or the next semester. And she's like, oh, well, you should have Davina come down and do a talk. And it was just funny. Her, Davina, Davina, you know, mm-hmm. this, this sort of thing. Because she's usually somewhat controlled. Um, but she, uh, 
she made that introduction and I went down and did a talk and Nick and I ended up writing a couple, three different things together. Mm-hmm. Um, making those connections with her students and faculty was one of the things that she really liked doing at those conferences. Do you see anything of Ellie in me? Did I, did I inherit anything obvious? To some extent, I think you inherited some of her teaching style. Which is not like an, an insult or anything, no. uh, but no. you definitely, uh, from, from what I remember, you allow for tangents in the class a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, usually those tangents are, how do we make this relevant? Mm-hmm. Um, and you prefer a seminar format, mm-hmm. and so you want to like sit around a table and talk, yeah. which is what Professor Leach did, was sit around a table and talk. And much more content discussion, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's like specifically a recitation course, it's more of a content course. Right. And also, um, I will say that she, uh, to the, like she didn't discriminate in, in grad students. I don't know that she ever taught undergrads, and she never taught undergrads, and I, I knew her, but. She did mm-hmm. on occasion. It was not her strong suit. Mm-hmm. But she's um, never, but yeah. <laughs> she never discriminated amongst grad students in like, a, like the immediate quality of ideas. Uh, and you don't don't discriminate based on like discipline within the scholars college. So like a PPL person and like a scientific inquiry person and a humanities and social thought person are all going to get like the same consideration of ideas in your mm-hmm. class, mm-hmm. Uh, which seems intuitive. Uh, when you're in that environment, and then when you're outside of that environment, you're like, hmm, it matters if I'm a Latinist or a Hellenist in this course. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, you know, I only took the one class with her. That mm-hmm. was the weird thing, that most of my interaction with her really came in 1989 when I did the Summer Institute with her in Rome, and then after that with the dissertation. Um and she was always super supportive. I mean, certainly when I started doing papers at, at the APA and at CAMWAS, you know, and since then. I mean, she's she was supportive throughout my career long after I graduated. Um, and we always got together at conferences, which was which was nice. It would have been nice to see her more, but that's mm-hmm. that's when we could both manage. But it was always nice to get and and for the newsletter. I would get an email. Every time, because she would work on the department newsletter. And I would, what have you been doing? <laughs> and so I would send her the list of what I, I had been doing. I remember the last time she emailed me. She was like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe that. Wow, you've been busy. <laughs> and I responded, hmm, wonder who I learned that from. <laughs> um, because she was always, always so busy, always involved in so many things. She always did have, like, a giant pile of correspondence that she needed to, to respond to. Her email was just, it, it gives me panic just thinking about how many unread emails. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that even though the extent of your interaction in grad school is just like the single course, I think that you can pick up on kind of the the pedagogical backbone yeah. of of. Professor Leach's kind of class style mm-hmm. and her like non-discriminatory like points of view. I think you can pick that up even outside of the classroom. I think that she was very open. She did not criticize people for the most part. Um, it was, I mean, what you've said. She would pick out what is that that one thing that you've said 
that she really thinks is super interesting, mm-hmm. and let's develop that more. Yeah. Everything else may have been bunk as far mm-hmm. as she was concerned, but she's never going to say that. Let's talk about this one thing, because that's mm-hmm. a great point, or that's something that you can do something with. She mm-hmm. was she was always, yeah, she was always much more about, you know, what can you do with this? Where can mm-hmm. you go with this? Cool. I'd, I'd say you're also very willing, uh, as far as, like, your dissertation, because uh, that dissertation story reminded me of when you supervised... <laughs> Was it Morgan Bird that did the thesis on tourism? Carla Ewing's on tourism and festivals. That's the one. That's okay, the one. That's the one. Uh, somebody, somebody did something on New Orleans, and that's what I remembered. Okay. But, um, like, that is so not your area of expertise. But you're like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best because, like, you need somebody to do this, and nobody else is stepping up. So, like, I, need, I, I can do this. I can figure out how to do it. So that's something that that Professor Leach did that also you do. <laughs> it's a horrible habit. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I rem- Yeah, her. I remember when I wrote a review of somebody's book, and it was a, it was, I didn't like the book. And I talked about why, and she was very concerned about, about how I said it. So I toned it down a little bit, but I, I didn't, I couldn't back down on it because I didn't feel like that was ethical. Uh-huh. Um, but I respected her. And now I, you know, I can definitely put it in that context. Uh-huh. Uh, let's find the good in something. Any closing thoughts? Um, I don't really have any closing thoughts. I, I kind of like went through my, my memories of like, okay, let's try to like draw some connections here. I think that I I admired her for what she was doing. Like I admired her more as a person than a professor, if that makes uh-huh. any sense. Like she was just like she was such like a big person, and like she didn't see she was so tall in stature. She was such a big person, and like she had high-minded ideals that she like would bring down to like our level and like interact with us and like try to get us to figure out how she thinks. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when Professor Vanna took over her survey, she would, like, look at this <laughs> and she would just, you know, like, you know, like that, that Cynthia Bannon, like, uh-huh. middle-distance stare, and she would just go, I'm trying to divine what Ellie wanted here. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I miss Ellie. I miss her a lot. Well, I'm glad you got to meet her, and I'm glad you got to work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, thanks. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Camos Core Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1, Celebrating the Life of Eleanor Windsor Leach. Please stay subscribed to this podcast. This year, we'll be releasing more interviews from the Camos Core Archive, as well as material and interviews recorded at the annual meeting in Lincoln, Nebraska. The theme music is called Rise and Shine by Audio Binger. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening.